We're sitting in the uh, conference room of the Dollywood Foundation office in downtown Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. The uh, building uh, is going to be demolished, and probably rightfully so at this point in its life, so uh, the foundation's going to relocate to a bank building temporarily to sort out you know, what, what the best long-term solution is. Is it fair to say that we're one of the last people who's ever going to As far as I know, this will definitely be the last interview ever in this building because nothing is scheduled that I'm aware of. And um, there has been many a TV, radio, and even a movie, part of a movie shot in this building. That's right, folks. This episode of So You Own a VW Bus was the last recorded interview in the Dollywood Foundation headquarters. And that gentleman you just heard, that's David Dotson, the longtime CEO of the Dollywood Foundation. If you're familiar at all with Dolly Parton's Imagination Library program, and you really, really should be, 180 million books distributed to millions of children in five countries. And it's free. Free, free, free 90 free. Free. You must be familiar with this program. Anyways, David is one of the key people who has expanded the Dolly Parton Imagination Library into a worldwide effort. But, of course, this is a podcast about VWs, and David was a one-time VW owner. Before that, he just appreciated them from, shall we say, afar? There was a place, this was an undergrad school, and so there was a place on the, sort of in the middle of the university that was, it was the University of Connecticut that had a, uh, you know, it was kind of a green area, and so people tend to hang out. So again, this is like 1972 or so. And it was called Hippie Hill. And usually what went on at Hippie Hill was kind of what you would imagine in terms of recreational use of, of things. And um, there was a, uh, a pond in the middle of the, of the campus. And one of the buildings, uh, and I forgot what, which, you know, studies were there. I, I, so I'm laying there on my back. Staring out at the pond, woman comes up in a co-ed, comes up in a older beetle, parks the beetle. So the pond is lower than the house and the parking lot. Jumps out of the jumps out of the uh, car and goes inside. So my buddy and I are sitting there watching. All of a sudden, we start seeing the vehicle rolling a little bit and rolling a little bit, and then it was like. You know, first of all, I say I never forget. He's like to me, he goes, "Is that car rolling?" <laughs> you know, it's like, "Yeah, it is." And it's like, "Oh wow, it's really rolling now." And the and the thing, just like the commercial, went right into the water, floated to the middle of the pond for a number of minutes. You know, so by this time, two hundred people had gathered to witness it and watching it. And then, of course, I don't know, you don't know if you remember this, but the old commercials that was that Beatles would float. Yeah. And uh, it floated for about 15 minutes. Well, then the young lady came out of the building and you could see it's like she was like, where it screams, where's my car? And then turned around and her car is in the middle of the pond. And then everybody's like, but it's floating. And then it just goes and sinks to the bottom of the pond. <laughs> And, and everybody started clapping, and this poor girl was distraught, and she, but nobody else was, right? It was like, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So we would, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, you're always wondering if commercials were real. And, and, this, and the beetle can float for a time. 
Now, a bus, I'm sure, would never float. Correct. And yet, David decided to buy a bus. I mean, whatever floats your boat. Well, okay, so the place was Athens, Georgia, and um, I had been, um, went to the University of Georgia to graduate school. And so I had um, just graduated, spent the summer in Atlanta, where I'm, I'm from, Georgia, and at my mother's place. And they had, um, back when I was 16, I inherited a Chevy Vega, which undoubtedly has to go down in history as one of the worst cars ever made. But it was free, and it was a four-speed, and it got me through college, And but it wasn't really me, right? It was a, a you know, a, a aluminum block, nondescript car that ran. And so one day it died in a glorious death on a hill. And um, I was needing a vehicle. And I was in grad school, so did not have a whole lot of money. And I was trying to remember before I came here, actually, I cannot actually remember the person that I bought it from. But I found in the local this was 1976. And so and there was a local uh, paper that catered to the alternative crowd, you know, in terms of where concerts were and things for sale and jobs to, to have and that kind of thing. And there it was, you know, a 62 Volkswagen bus. I can't remember again what the price was. And so I went over, I got a ride from a friend and it, there it was. It was blue on the bottom and white on top. It wasn't the fancy one with all of the windows. They had one that had the windows all on the top and all this. This was the you know the basic, basic one. And then on the back was a hand painted from the Rolling Stones album Sticky Fingers. The inside of the sleeve of the album was Mick Jagger, supposedly Mick Jagger's mouth and lips with sticking his tongue out. Although it's debated about. There's sort of a sexualized version of why they did, and then there was the sticking your tongue out at establishment. So I don't know and really didn't ascribe to either one, but there it was. I thought, this is it for me. It had tie-dyed cushions in the inside. It had a, a, a gear shift that was like a school bus that had like from like reverse to, I mean, from first to third was probably about 10 feet, you know, <laughs> when you, it wiggled so much, uh, but it ran. And uh, I, first time in my life, I felt like I was home with, with the right vehicle for me. Besides uh, having long hair, uh, that was probably the most visible way to say to the world, this is who I am. Because everybody, if you drove a bus with tie-dyed seats and the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger's mouth on the back, they could pretty much size you up pretty quickly, I would think, and, and accurately so. So it was just, I didn't let it go till I had to. But being yourself sometimes leads to some sticky situations. We went to a yard sale of a church and it was a small, I'm assuming it was a Baptist church, and I can't remember, but you know, it was a, a, a Protestant church. And, uh, and of course, again, not even thinking, back then, and where I grew up, when you went to some, a place like that, a church, the, um, a lot of times, it's less so now, but then there was more 
proselytizing going on. So if you went there, you were kind of fair game to be talked into coming to the church or, you know, giving your life over to, to Jesus and those kind of discussions, which was really not where my head was at at the time. Um, and so I, we pulled up and sure enough, the minister comes over, you know, he identified himself and he started out by talking about the bus, you know, like, hey, where'd you get this car? And, you know, looking into it, clearly this vehicle was totally alien to him, you know, but um, and then we walked around the back and there's Mick Jagger's mouth and tongue, you know, stuck on the back. And he goes, well, what does this mean? And I remember thinking, okay, one version that it means is that it's sexual connotation of the mouth and the tongue. And the other one is that it's sticking your nose out of authority. I don't think either of these explanations are going to go down well with him, you know? So I, all this is going in my mind as he was thinking, and we're standing there and he's looking at it because he clearly had never seen this before. And then I remember all I could think of is I looked at him and said the most intelligent thing ever. I go, I don't know what it means, sir. <laughs> 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 so we got back in the in the car. Everybody going like, "Well, that was well done." <laughs> David mentioned that he didn't part with the bus until he had to. And I think our listeners need to hear this because it really shows the sort of person that David is. So, um, like all great academic careers, they come to an end, and life has to uh, resume or begin. Maybe the better way. And so. Uh, of course, at the time, uh, and thankfully still to this day, I always have been motivated for work to do things for the good of the world, you know, and sometimes that has a real political dimension. Sometimes it has a social service dimension. Sometimes it has an educational dimension. It just kind of depends on what, what the choices are. And at that time, it was really more of... Um, working more, I wouldn't call it political in the uh, uh, partisan or po political party sense, but political and actively trying to right wrongs. And um, I was in Athens, and then uh, I had, through a whole long course of kind of nutty stuff that happened, um, came in touch with <clears throat> these folks that were community organizers in the Carolinas, and they were working with textile workers where... Um, not with the union, but putting, developing another organization that was really focused on trying to first end and then make compensable an occupational lung disease that textile workers were getting by the droves. So it's similar to black lung with coal miners, but it's called uh, brown lung, and the you know the medical term is bisonosis because in mills in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, you took raw cotton and you started the process to make, you know, material. And of course, there's all of this stuff. It's called a card room, which is when they first take it. And it's just filled with dust. And of course, they're low wage jobs, low educational. Uh, really, most kids went into the mill. They didn't even finish school. And then they became they worked there their whole lives. Never any protection. And they are, so many of them would develop a really terrible chronic obstructive lung, lung disease. Of course, the states of South Carolina and North Carolina, where the mill industry was, uh, textile industry was centered, uh, denied the existence of the disease. 
And so it was not a compensable disease for workers' comp or anything. They just said, oh, you smoke or all. But <clears throat> it was clear what happened. So that's just to kind of set the stage. So uh, from talking, this was like my cup of tea. And I really wanted to go to be an organizer in outside of Aiken, South Carolina, which was a very rural, very um, conservative mill worker place, but very much uh, the workers there uh, were in, they were both in need, but they were a lot desirous to try to do something so their kids and grandkids wouldn't end up sick. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty heavy job uh, with heavy outcomes. Fast forward, we eventually won. It was made a compensable disease after years of lobbying and uh, direct action. But I felt like to go into an area that was more like Georgia, rural Georgia, in a tie-dyed, cushioned Volkswagen bus uh, would undermine my credibility in their eyes, you know. And so it was really, uh, I cut my hair, I, you know, I felt like I have to be the best I can be to be the most effective. And if they need me to be not a hippie, then fine, I'm ready for something new. So I ended up buying a Honda Civic, one of the first ones, those little tiny ones. Mm -hmm. And um, that was my post-bus car. And uh, that's really why I did it. it, was for the reasons of work and life. And uh, like I said, try to be who they needed me to be to, uh, to get what we all wanted, which was some sort of justice for their situation, because it was, it was a, a very unjust situation. At the time of this interview, David was serving out his last couple months as the CEO of the Dollywood Foundation and getting ready to transfer into a new role. Lot, again, I won't go into all the details, but primarily a legacy plan for all these entities that uh, she leads that can guarantee, make concrete decisions now and uh, in the future that will guarantee that not only her legacy was be someone who's remembered but that we continue things like the Imagination Library, create opportunities and things that Dolly can have a real relevance in people's lives for generations to come. So it's not, it's more than fondly remembering. It's like Dolly can still be relevant in the lives of young people and adults in a number of ways 50 or 100 years from now. So my job is, what's that blueprint look like? What's that plan look like? So it's a... Uh, it's exciting, and it's also exciting after 40 years of definitely not living a Volkswagen camper life anymore, a bus life, uh, to now be in a position of, <clears throat> maybe I'll go buy a bus. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, what, see what's next, you know. David, we wish you the very best, and we hope to meet up with you on the road someday. If you run into any bus trouble, give our friends at Go Westy a try. They have all sorts of good VW wares, Check them out at GoWesty.com. And thank you to our friends at the Amachowski Foundation for their support. If you want to know more about the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, and you do, visit their website, ImaginationLibrary.com. And if you want to know more about us, our travels, and our time in Tennessee, and you do, visit our website, OnTheRoadWithAddy.com. Until next time, everyone. <laughs>